0: Hello, and welcome to the AK-47 podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey, and I am speaking to you all on November 26th. Today, if you are in the United States, it is Thanksgiving, and I finally seem to have figured out the software glitch uh, in GarageBand, and so I am hoping that I will not delete this audio like I did the last one, uh, the episode that I recorded with my daughter, which I was never able to post. So since it is Thanksgiving here in the United States, I've been thinking a lot about gratitude and the things that I am grateful for and the things that I am not grateful for or worried about. And, And there are a lot of those things, but of course, obviously today is the day to focus on, on the things that you're thankful for. And, um, obviously one of the things that I'm thankful for, I think a lot of people are thankful for is that Donald Trump will no longer be president of the United States. Uh, I'm not, you know, truth be told, obviously not very enthusiastic about the Biden administration, but obviously (laughs) anything is a lot better than, than, than Donald Trump. So that's not a surprise. I think I'm obviously feeling pretty grateful that we might have vaccines for the coronavirus and and that there are treatments and that although cases are still surging here in the United States and hospitalizations are reaching capacity, I just got a text message the other day saying that Pennsylvania hospitals are, are reaching capacity, really urging people to stay home. I do I'm trying as hard as I can to feel hopeful about the fact that maybe things will be, in terms of the virus at least, back to some semblance of normal before the end of 2021. I mean, I'm still trying to be realistic about this and not get my hopes up. And anyway, I just wanted to say happy Thanksgiving to everyone who is listening in the United States. And, and certainly for my international listeners, happy Thanksgiving to you as well, even though it's not a holiday that you understand uh, or or celebrate. And it's kind of a problematic holiday for all sorts of reasons. But I do think that it is a holiday this year where a lot of people who otherwise might be with friends and family are doing you know the responsible thing and staying home or you know just being with very small groups of people. And so this is a this has been a tough year. Obviously we're heading into these long nights, dark 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 days and and cold. And it's going to probably get a hell of a lot worse than in, in terms of the virus before it gets better because obviously a lot of Americans are completely ignoring all of the advice of the Center for Disease Control and traveling anyway. But, you know, there you go. So I'm going to restart posting episodes, hopefully on a more regular basis of this podcast, and but I am not going to continue reading Red Love. I think that the problem with Red Love is several fold. Uh, first of all, the translation that is available on marxist.org is not a very good translation. And so the translation that I recommend if you want to finish this novel is in a book called Love of Worker Bees, translated by Kathy Porter. It has an afterword by Sheila Robotham and was published in 1977. And it is worth a read because of the sort of struggle between Vasya and Volodya in terms of a committed Bolshevik versus an anarchist, versus somebody who's really committed to principles and, you know, her, somebody who's just obsessed with appearances and superficiality, somebody who's trying to give up material concerns and somebody who's actually quite obsessed with them. And so I think that the themes that Alexandra Kollontai discusses in Red Love are still relevant to this day. I mean, obviously, it's a love story about a about a relationship that's gone south. So she's trying to deal with kind of a a universal theme but it also tends to be a little bit prudish in the sense that obviously Vasya is upset with Volodya for his infidelities and somehow these infidelities are supposed to represent something of the kind of unsavory nature of Volodya's character which is interesting because in some ways it feels like Kolontai is kind of contradicting herself because obviously she she's walking this fine line between wanting to encourage People to embrace their sexuality and not commodify themselves, but on the other hand, she has this very prude this very prude attitude towards infidelity within marriage and the fact that he seems to not really appreciate the fact that Vasya for her fidelity is really important anyway, so some of the themes in the book are kind of complicated. I feel like obviously what Colin Teague was doing was trying to write a, a novella that would appeal to working class women. But as I've said on this podcast several times in the past, and I really felt it as I was reading this no, novel novella to you all, was that Kollontai was just not a very good fiction writer. <laughs> the, the prose is clunky and you know she's very didactic. And part of that had to do with the translation that was made available on Marxist.org and part of that really had to do with just the fact that the story, you know, it's it's almost like a morality tale. It really feels like it's hitting you on the head with her points of view and her criticisms of the new economic policy and her criticisms of the anarchists, which is interesting given that she had joined the workers' opposition. So I feel like in some ways, Kolintai is is really struggling in this story to kind of figure out what she wants to say and she's contradicting herself. And you know, just quite frankly, I don't really find it one of Tai's better pieces of writing. And I thought that by reading it through piece by piece and discussing it, I'd be able to sort of excavate the interesting parts and, you know, have some important reflections about what she's trying to do in the story and why I think the story is is still useful. But as I kept reading it and reading ahead and figuring out, you know, how much I was going to be able to read on any given podcast, I started to just realize that I don't like this story very much. And I was avoiding recording podcasts, because I actually didn't like the story. I know that's not a very, that doesn't give you as a listener that much incentive to go out and read this story. But I do think that it is kind of indicative of the problem that we have when we political thinkers, when people who are advocating a particular point of view, You know, we run into this trouble when we write fiction because fiction is really, you know, they say "show, don't tell," and obviously, Alexandra Kollontai is kind of a proto-socialist realist in the sense that she's really using her fiction as a political tool, and and that makes that often, not always, but it it makes for bad fiction a lot of the time. It's not as pleasant to read when you feel like the author is trying to hammer you over the head with certain kinds of ideas even if those are ideas that you agree with it's you know just write an essay and i understand again as i've said that writing an essay is not going to appeal to working working people who don't have maybe a lot of time and would prefer to read fiction than read a bunch of pamphlets I do think that for the purposes of this podcast, Red Love, I was a mistake on my part. Was starting it was it's too long. It was also really difficult to read this entire novella, which is quite substantial when you're breaking it up into fifteen or twenty minute episodes. And um, and so what I think I'm going to do. From now on is I'm going to focus much more on her political writing, and I'm going to focus much more on sort of doing extracts or abridgments, things where I feel like there's really kind of meat that we can discuss. I'm going to try to get some more guests on. I, I do think that that Colentai's work, her the, the the her work in its entirety, including all of her articles and essays and pamphlets and things that she wrote, um, there's so much material left to discuss. And I I got bogged down in the novella partially because I did think that there's something really valuable in trying to write fiction in trying to make politics accessible, particularly left politics accessible to a wider audience through fiction. You know, people are much more likely to go see a film than they are to listen to a lecture. People are are much more likely to listen to a podcast than they are to actually go read the original text. We know that to be true. And so obviously, in Kolontai's time, she must have believed and it was probably the case that literate women were far more likely to want to read stories than they were to read political tracts. And so that made for a particular style of writing that I I think is worth talking about. It's certainly worth, you know, thinking about in terms of how we get our message across as leftists. I think one of the criticisms that I hear often is that a lot of leftists are kind of tedious and boring and overzealous and too textually focused. And they're constantly kind of shaming each other for not having read this or that book or this or that text. And that's you know that's problematic i think that there's some great podcasts out there revolutionary left radio particularly that are trying to reach a much broader audience through this sort of dialogue format and and that's really important to think about the way we deliver the message as much as the message itself and so even for me you know as an academic as somebody who really thinks of herself as a writer I generally think that writing is the most effective way to get a message across. Certainly when I'm feeling like I'm educating myself on new things, like I'm going through a period right now where I'm reading a lot of utopian literature, I'm reading a lot of anarchist literature, and I, I, I like it in the form of a book. I like it in the form of the written word. Just because I'm of a generation where podcasts weren't really a thing and I just feel like I am I'm, i prefer to go to the original texts. I want to read Bakunin and I want to read Kropotkin and I want to read Emma Goldman and Robert Owen and Fourier in the original. I don't want to necessarily listen to somebody tell me about them. But that's partially because of my academic training and partially because I will probably end up writing about those people as well. And so I need to have access to the original sources as much as I can, even if they're in translation. Anyway, this is a long way of saying that I'm gonna not read the rest of Red Love to you. I think that the, the moral of the story of Red Love is that the new economic policy was a disaster and that within the, the left, this is not going to be a surprise for anybody. There are these divisions and there are people who are become leftists because they deeply and profoundly believe in the ideals of of certain worldviews. They certainly believe in certain principles and, and certain ways of of thinking about how we arrange our polity and economy. And then there are people, there are always going to be people who are opportunists. There are always going to be people who see the way the wind is blowing and are going to kind of join a movement for personal reasons, maybe because they want to get something out of joining that movement, you know, materially, they want a position of power, maybe because they're in love with somebody. I wrote a book called, the left side of history back in 2014 or 15, I can't remember. And the protagonist of one of the main characters in that book was a guy called Frank Thompson, who when he was a student at Oxford, you know, basically joined the Communist Party of Great Britain because he was in love with a girl. He wanted to impress a girl, a woman who was actually the novelist Iris Murdoch. They met at a party and he was complaining about the Labour Party. And she basically challenged him and said, well, why not join the Communist Party? And he went home. He was very drunk, and he basically you know, so- waited till he sobered up. He says he he read State and Revolution by by, by Lenin, and and then he made up his mind and, and went out and joined the Communist Party for f- to impress her. So I think that a lot of people come to leftist politics for for different reasons. I think it's a big tent. It should be, and the 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 theme that Colintai is really exploring. I mean, of among many, but I think the one that I really kind of wanted to pull out was this idea that people come to leftist politics for different reasons. And all of those reasons are good reasons, but I think that when you come for opportunistic reasons or if you're not really committed, which is the case with Bologna, he hopes to get material privileges and, and and gain out of this new system. He's not really committed to the ideals. He's just committed to his own advancement. And he sees this as an opportunity to advance his own material interests, his own personal interests. That's a problem. And that's always going to be difficult in any social movement. Now, of course, you know, this is the Soviet Union in the 20s and heading into Stalin's purges and 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 reign of sort of terror in the 30s. The gulags and everything, you could see how this paranoia about people being in the movement for the wrong reasons or for selfish gain can become a problem if, you know, suddenly you're going to purge anybody who you feel doesn't agree with you for one reason or the other. And so I think that red love sort of presages some of the tensions that are going to come to a head in the Soviet Union under Stalin's rule in the 30s in particular, and his paranoia was quite severe. Now, it's not unreasonable because of course there were saboteurs and you know, he was afraid that the Germans were going to attack that the West was going to attack and it you know sort of turns out that they were. But obviously Kolontai at this particular point has not yet realized the extent to which Stalin is going to start purging all of her old colleagues. It's, as I've said in earlier podcasts, you know, two of her lovers. Um, are killed by Stalin during the purges, and many, many of her colleagues and, and old, the old Bolsheviks are purged. Kolontai herself manages to survive because she is out of the country, and, and, and Stalin decides to, to keep her alive. And in fact, she lives to the ripe uh, old age of almost 80. She dies in 1952. So, But, but red love is, is this kind of tension that she's already starting to explore in, in the 20s. So thank you so much for listening. This is Kristen Godsey with the AK47 podcast. I hope you all are having a happy Thanksgiving if you're in the United States, that you are staying safe and well, and as always, keep up the good fight.